Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com Pages 27 through 29 If more Holy Spirit is available to me, how do I get it? Part 2 The Word of God says that fountains or rivers or streams or wells of living water will flow up from inside of us. That is our birthright. Do you feel that happening to you? Do you know how to stick a straw in the river of life and suck until you're full? Maybe your cup is all full of the wrong kind of stuff and there's no room. Maybe you put a cork in it by unforgiveness or fear or bitterness. Maybe you have your hand over the top of your cup because you think you've had enough, or already gotten all that was available. This river, this water that we're talking about is the Holy Spirit. He is the fluid that fills our cup. He is that which is the righteousness of God that writes the law of the Lord on our hearts. We are to be full and to keep getting full. Otherwise, the enemy has room to jump in and mess with us. And we are to crucify pieces of ourselves daily so that he can increase and we can decrease. More on that later. We should be able to see from these verses what we're supposed to be doing. But this is what we've actually done. Jeremiah 2, 11-13 Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. They hewed out their own cisterns? Do you know what that is? A cistern is a large container to hold lots of water. Typically, it would be a big vat in the ground used to hold water for a whole group or tribe to drink from when there was a need. The children of God dug these artificial vats and tried to store up their own water, but they leak. They should have just trusted God, the fountain of living water, and believed He would supply their need as they needed it. But instead, they tried to store it up, like the manna in the desert that only lasted for one day. If they tried to store it, it would go bad. They had to trust in God's daily provision and not trust in the work of their own hands. They built large vats to store the water, but it doesn't work. Their cisterns are leaking, and they have irritated God by not leaning on Him and trusting Him for their provision. Do you know what the spiritual equivalent to those cisterns is today? It's the institutional churches that are building large containers, buildings, sanctuaries, storehouses, barns, and convincing people that they are the place to come to get the living water. But they're leaking and can't contain it, or are lukewarm and stagnant and stale or never had any water in the first place. They are full of day-old manna that doesn't satisfy, and in fact it is poisoning the people, who are pretending that it tastes good because everyone else around them is pretending that it tastes good. The living water flows up from inside of us. We are the church. We don't need large communal cisterns where someone has stored up old stale water. We need the fountains to flow from our own bellies. We need to learn how to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and suck. We need to stick a straw in the river that flows from the throne of God and drink until we're full, and then learn how to stay full all the time. It really does work like that. It's just that it requires faith like a child, and laying down all of our artificial devices and seeing the complete uselessness of the leaky cisterns that we've built on our own power when we turned away and forsook the fountain of living water. Only when we are personally full can we then go and truly be the church to a lost and dying world. We need to get unclogged and get the fountains that are supposed to be flowing up from our own bellies moving again. We need to stop looking to the systems and programs and structures of man to fill our cup. God forgive us, we made this way too hard. All we ever had to do was teach them to get their cup all cleaned out, keep it cleaned out, 
reach up and hold Jesus' hand and suck really hard. But we tried to satisfy their God-given spiritual thirst with our own devices and programs and entertainments. And they're dying all around us, and the enemy is eating them for lunch, and we're pretending everything is just fine. Who benefits most from a theology that says the river dried up, or that you get one shot glass full and that's all you're ever going to get? What a sad walk with God that would be. I need him in increasing quantity daily so that I won't be ineffective and unproductive for the gospel. Second Peter 1, 2-11 So who benefits most from a fixed quantity, one time only, Holy Spirit theology? Yep, gotta be the bad guys, because the word of God says that it will overflow out of us and be endless. Horse teeth reality check. I know people that have had folks lay hands on them and impart or share with them supernaturally and instantly the gift of fluently playing the piano or drums or guitar or other things. I personally had a gift of administration shared with me by a brother in Houston. It started to express itself immediately and I've shared it with others as the Lord has directed. In my old business, I would work at a desk until the piles of stuff overwhelmed it. Then we would rope it off, condemn it, and I'd move to another desk. Now I'm keeping better records, my van is cleaned out, I'm making the bed, I'm aware of small details, and I'm doing other stuff that I used to think was creepy, but I really needed these skills for what God is calling me to do. A sister that used to be on crack and all kinds of bad, dark things before the Lord rescued her and lit her up was sent to my furniture store. She had been so deep into enemy territory that she is hypersensitive to the bad guys. She pretty much sees demons on people all the time and can tell you exactly what is messing with them. If there's a war... I want to see the bad guys, not just blast away in the dark hoping I hit something. I had sought the Lord in the gift of discernment of spirits. This sister and many others came and shared with me of the wealth of their inheritance. Over the last two years, like a new wine, all these different special grapes have blended together and helped me to see better and better in the spirit. As the Lord allows, now I pretty much see whatever is messing with someone and can tell them what it is, where it came from, how long it's been there, what it's saying, and what we need to do to get it off and keep the doors closed. The fruit from that has been amazing, as lots of people have had the chains broken and the yokes lifted. A brother in Kansas City that I know sings in the spirit, a verse in tongues, and then the interpretation in English. Original, prophetic compositions that can sometimes go on for hours. The Lord said I should ask him to share that with me. He did, and three days later I started getting and writing down new songs. When the Lord first gave me a linguistic tongue to pray with, it was a complete language package that I could translate on the fly. I can read the Bible in it, I can conjugate verbs, it's a language of man, some kind of Native American that we haven't identified yet. Since then, he has given me other tongues for warfare, for messages to the church, for intercession, for communication, and other things. All of them edify me in some way. Praise God, I need all the edifying I can get. I have shared with others, or had shared with me, peace, discernment of spirits, wisdom, faith, boldness, knowledge, languages, self-control, interpretation of tongues, and more. I have seen the fruits of that over and over and over as they manifest and equip people to walk closer to the Lord or to be better leaders or elders. It is absolutely imperative that we share with each as they have a need. Clearly, that instruction includes a bag of groceries or some warm clothes, but our spiritual assets are much more valuable and just as transferable. God's economy says that if I give something away sacrificially, He will give me more. We're not waiting on Him to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. He's waiting on us to stop being lukewarm and stagnant and start sharing with each all that He has already given us. And then the endless rivers of living water can flow 
We're known by the word of our testimony. I don't expect you to believe it, but this is my testimony. It's true because I've seen it and felt it and know it to be true. Disbelieve me if you like, but you cannot convince me that what I've seen with my own eyes didn't happen because it disagrees with your theology. I've just seen too many miracles for me to buy that line anymore. Read this for more. www.fellowshipofthemartyrs.com slash rain underscore down underscore now dot htm Who neutered the Holy Spirit? From fellowshipofthemartyrs.com Pages 30 to 32 Have apostles and prophets ceased too? What the cessationists seem to miss, and most others who are intent on their one single interpretation and application of the Word of God, being the right and only one, is that the Word is spiral. There are multiple applications. They argue not only that certain gifts have ceased, but also certain offices and callings have ceased. That God gave certain people as gifts to the church at one point, but evidently He doesn't give us those gifts anymore. The most common argument is that of Ephesians 2.20, that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that foundation is laid and final, and therefore those offices have ceased. Ephesians 2.19-22 in the ASV. So then, ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but ye are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. My problem with that is twofold. First is the horse teeth reality check that I happen to have met true apostles and prophets that meet all the biblical criteria for such. Second, that argument is entirely focused on the macro application and ignores all the other possible spirals. For example, can Jesus Christ be the chief cornerstone in my life? Yes. In my congregation? Yes. In the body of Christ in my city? Yes. In the universal church? Yes. Can he be all of those things at the same time? Yes, he's very versatile, but we are human, and it may require multiple people to fulfill all those roles on each of the different legs of the spiral. So which church is it that we are building upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets? All of them. Does the universal church need a foundation laid other than that laid by the apostles and prophets of the first church? No. But is the role of the apostle as one that is sent to plant and to nurture and to serve still valid today? Yes. Is there still a need for the prophet that speaks the application of God's word to the sinfulness of a society and calls for their repentance? Yes. Are there people whom God has called and touched who have done that throughout history? Yes. Does it require fresh, extra-biblical revelation in order to be a prophet or apostle? No, not necessarily. Should they have authority to add to the canon, to add to the Bible? Absolutely not. Can the Lord help them to see something that is in the Word, but their contemporaries have missed and need to hear? Yes. How would he tell them that? By revelation from the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is still for today, because the Word of God says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 Unless Jesus has ceased, or his testimony has ceased, then when we reveal to people his nature and tell his story, we are prophesying. This may be reading the word to them, or it may be showing them the application of it to their own lives, or it may be speaking a personal word to them that he wants them to hear about how he wants to be involved in their lives. Whatever it is, it will line up with scripture if it's from him. 
Said another way, my argument is that the only biblical model for the local church is the city church, one autonomous body per town. I can find no other model. I can find no biblical justification for denominations or hierarchical structures that exceed one town in size. I can find absolutely no justification for a popish Roman model that elevates one man to be God's mouthpiece and have autocratic authority to direct the affairs of many. The Church of Jerusalem allows for no further division within it. They are to be one body within each locality, and they are to be entirely independent of Laodicea or Ephesus or Smyrna or Antioch or any other. They are sisters, but none can lord it over another. There is no bishop of Asia Minor. The letters in Revelation are to each independent ecclesia, or local body, of those who are called out. And in each town, the Lord sent apostles and prophets, not just to lay down the original foundation, but also to serve and to correct and to impart and to teach and to give personal words of prophecy that didn't have canonical implications, didn't change scripture, but were critically important to a particular individual. Acts 21.11 is an example. Paul was sent back to places he had previously been, not to lay a foundation other than what he had already laid, but to make corrections or to strengthen or to encourage. Did God send apostles to places to do things other than relay a foundation? Yes. Did God send apostles sometimes to show people that they had accepted another Jesus and were building incorrectly? Yes. Why isn't that still needed today? Are our bodies all on the right foundations? Are any of us preaching another Jesus? There were apostles with a capital A. There were only a handful, 12 plus Paul, and they had a specific purpose and season. They sit around the throne of God and are special for a host of reasons, including their suffering for His sake. They are gone from the earth, but that doesn't mean that the office necessarily stopped. There were lowercase a apostles acknowledged in the word, like Luke and John Mark and Barnabas and Junia, more than 20 of them. And today there are still lowercase a apostles who serve and suffer and plant and minister and weep and are known by their having seen Jesus, by their obedience, by their crucifying of their flesh, by their love, and by their freakishly high gifts of faith. Said another way, if the purpose of the prophets was to establish the canon, the Bible, and the foundation of the church, but there were prophets at the time that were clearly prophets, but don't seem to have had any impact or application canonically, then what were they doing there? Agabus and Philip's daughters and Ananias and many others seem to have played entirely peripheral and local roles and had no canonical significance. If they were around then, why can't they be around now? If the only purpose of apostles and prophets was to lay the foundation for THE universal church, then how do we explain those that the Bible recognizes as apostles and prophets but didn't have a global impact? And if they were only there to establish the church, then what are they doing in the Old Testament? If the Holy Spirit was doing then the same stuff he did after Pentecost, then why exactly do we think it needed to stop? And which apostles and prophets exactly was it that laid the foundation for the church? Daniel, David, Moses, Peter, Paul? Yes, all of them and others that never got their names in there at all, but played pivotal roles in historically setting the stage or plowing the ground. My argument is that the city church is the thing, and that each one requires being set on the proper foundation and being established so that it can be built up. The true apostles and prophets of today established the same foundation as did the original apostles, Christ and Him crucified. They build on right doctrine, and they build on love. They establish the local body through harmony and prayer and patient long-suffering and much affliction.
They use their mighty weapons of war to pull down principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. They do not lead forcibly. They are not autocrats. They do not enforce anything. They are gifts to the church, and they serve and show by their lives how it's to be done. And signs and wonders confirm them to the degree that the Lord wills. The best signs and wonders are radically transformed lives of freedom and peace and joy, not the ability to predict an earthquake or a drought. You can read more on that here, fellowshipofthemartyrs.com, city underscore church underscore justification dot htm. Final horse teeth reality check. Are people still getting raised from the dead? You decide. Visit shepherdserve.org slash special underscore reports slash daniel underscore main dot htm. Does God do miracles in America? Can God move through kids at a football game? Visit kingdompoweronthestreet.blogspot.com Muslims all over the world are having dreams and visions of Jesus. How do we explain that if the Holy Spirit doesn't speak anymore? Visit www.isalmasi.net That's I-S-A-A-L-M-A-S-I-H dot net my personal experience includes four and a half months in a van driving seventeen and a half thousand miles to thirty-two states entirely dependent on the voice of God for every direction, every dollar, and every appointment. He was always faithful, and daily miracles resulted, not only of divine appointments all over the country, but also physical healings, deliverance of oppressions of all kind, impartations of gifts to me and through me, spiritual warfare of all kinds, and even playful fun time with the Lord when he met some of my wants and not just my needs. Here's an example of healing by a dedicated native missionary from Gospel for Asia, www.gfa.org slash video hyphen singham, S-I-N-G-H-A-M. That's video hyphen S-I-N-G-H-A-M. You might also read the Heavenly Man book by Hathaway and Yun, Y-U-N. This book will mess you up. Brother Yun fasted 73 days in a Chinese prison without food or water, tortured, beaten, and broken, and miraculously healed, broken out of prison, given Bibles by communist prison officials, angelic protection, escaped from the country, and more. This kind of stuff is common in the persecuted church. However, it's rare in the comfy, fat, lazy church. Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com Pages 33 and 34 13 Ways to Grieve the Holy Spirit 1. Tell Him when to show up and when to leave. Schedule His appearances and make sure everyone knows that you have control of His reins so that He will be gone in time for everyone to get to Sunday lunch on time. 2. Let someone that isn't anointed and isn't supposed to be speaking run the show. 3. Tell God how great He is and how much you love and adore Him and sing songs to Him while you completely ignore all the bleeding people around you. Tell them to call the office if they want to talk to someone, but don't disrupt the carefully planned presentation that was scheduled for this time period. 4. Divide the body of Christ up into smaller and smaller pieces and fill it with dissension, factions, division, selfish ambition, strife, quarreling, etc. That's a surefire way to get the gentle dove to take off. 5. Tell him what he can and can't do. Be absolutely positive that you know how he operates and make sure and tell everyone that you have all the answers. Then program and plan and schedule everything in your own power and don't leave him any room or any invitation to show up. 6. Give lip service to wanting him to show up, but don't really mean it or get out of his way. 
If he does actually try to break through, squelch it as fast as you can. Pray fervently that the Lord would shake things up, but when he does, deny it was him and go back to sleep. 7. Cancel your prayer meetings, because people are on their faces crying out to the Lord, and it's creepy. We need people to be happy in church. It's just not in vogue to have people crying all the time. 8. Convince the people that worshiping the Holy Spirit and getting Him to come is the goal. Seek manifestations and displays of emotionality above all else. Now, we do want Him to show up, but as a confirming side effect of the fact that the truth is being spoken and the Word of God is being spread and people are being transformed, not as the whole point of the meeting so we can just lay around and giggle. 9. Tell people that something glorious that He did wasn't actually Him. 10. Take all of the spiritual assets that the Lord has given you and hoard them and don't share with anybody. And make sure you let everyone know that you are special. 11. Make sure that only people with the proper degrees and certifications from approved structures and systems of man are allowed to speak. Whatever you do, don't let the person there that has the biggest cup of Jesus say anything. 12. Lie to the people in your congregation about spiritual gifts. Maybe even publicly deny that you speak in tongues when you actually do. That'll make him leave for sure. 13. Make it all about you. Your kingdom, your power, your glory forever. Amen. What do I do now? If you've been grieving him, knock it off and say you're sorry. Ask him to show you how to keep from doing it anymore. Wait on the Lord. Don't try to fill all the dead air with you. If you need more Holy Spirit than you've got, see Appendix A, and it will walk you through more about how to get unclogged and get your cup full and keep it full all the time. If you went through this whole thing and never disagreed with me on anything, you were probably on board all along, and I'm just preaching to the choir, and you should have probably stopped and gone out and told someone about Jesus during this whole time you've been reading or listening to something that you already knew. Are you sure God told you to take the time and do this? Just checking. If you are really, really hungry for more Jesus, and you don't care what it takes to get more, and you're willing to have him kill all of the parts of you that are in his way, you might consider praying something like this. But I warn you, in the strongest possible terms, he will take you seriously, and it will hurt if you pray this. Dear Lord, I trust you. I know you won't push it too far. I know you'll get me through anything. I'm sorry for all the ways I've limited you and failed to obey your instructions. I'm sorry for having grieved the Holy Spirit over and over by going my own way. I know there's a lot of blood on my head. Please forgive me and wash me clean. So that I don't do anything like this ever again, please do whatever you have to do to me so that I'll be so jam-packed full of Jesus that nothing else can fit. Anything in me that is resisting you in any way, please shred it, kill it, rip it, burn it. If I don't know how to lay it down, then tear it out of my grip. Just do whatever you have to do. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much it hurts. Just crucify all the pieces of me that are in your way. And I know you may have to turn up the refining fire pretty high to get me finished cooking. So I'm asking you to just ignore me completely when I bang on the door of the oven and ask you to turn it down. Dial it all the way up and get this turkey done. Please, Abba, I mean it. There's a war and I want to be fully ready. Get me out of boot camp. Do whatever you have to do and get me ready for war. I want to see the bad guys. I want to have the spiritual authority to crush them. I need wisdom and I need more of your spirit and your love. 
I want you to get all the glory. It's your kingdom, your power, your glory forever. Please, Lord, do whatever you have to do with me. You can have all my stuff, all my dreams, all my relationships. I put it all on the altar. Have your way, Lord. I know this prayer is inside your will, so I know you're going to answer it. Just don't let go of my hand when it hurts. Please, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, amen. If we can help you, let us know. If you're supposed to help us, let us know. We love you, and we're not going to stop loving you no matter what. You can reach us at FOTM at fellowshipofthemartyrs.com. We love you. May the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you in whatever way he thinks best. Which could include him hitting you with a 2x4 upside your head. But he'll do it in love and it's all for your own good.